Welcome to the Becoming the Influential Me podcast. Once again, we are still rolling and I still enjoy this way too much. <laughs> I'm Michelle Chikanda and I'm the founder of the Influential Me. And today we are sort of midway through the Women Who Failed to Let Their Failures Define Them series. And as promised last week, I am going to be doing a Q&A session this week. Because, like I mentioned when I started this podcast, this is really an opportunity for us to have a conversation. I love rabbiting on about anything and everything. But it's also an opportunity for me to hear from you guys, answer your questions. I also want to take an opportunity to say thank you for all the kind words and the generous feedback from a lot of you that have been following this journey and also being a part of it by vulnerably sharing with me, emailing me everything that you think about it. And I am so, so grateful. Okay, so today I'm just going to answer a series of questions that I have received. Some of these I've put together two questions that have come from um, two different people because um, they were essentially the same thing. And I really wanted to get to the heart of the matter with both. So here goes. The very first question is... You see that I flicked through the, <laughs> I flicked through the first one. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going that with that one first. Um, this is a good question. In your research and time with leaders, what's the one characteristic that you'd say the good ones have? This is a really good question, and I actually didn't have to think very long about the answer to this one. Um, I've often been asked, what does good leadership look like to you? And there's so many different ways of answering that question. Um, as somebody who inter- who's interacted with many a leader um, and who likes to think of themselves as a leader in some, way as, some ways as well, um, it depends on the environment. But ultimately, there are a few standout qualities. And of those standout qualities, for me, there is only really one. One that I try and... Um, you know, commit to as well. And that is listening. The mark of a good leader is usually how well they listen to the people that they are leading, but also how well they listen to what else is going on around the world. As I consider some of the people that I have been following over the last few weeks, for example, Helena Morrissey, phenomenal listener, right? She's assessing the trends of the world and of the world and determining how best to lead as a result of that, not starting from a point where she has a certain ideology that she wants to push onto the world. Um, And I think that's remarkable. Same with Ariana Huffington. Similar sort of thing, really listening, really channeling her strengths and her power to what is being asked of her. And I think that those are really powerful qualities, being able to listen. I'll also tell you a story. I once went into the office of a CEO of one of the biggest newspapers in the UK. And what stunned me about our first ever meeting was for a, an hour, actually. We had an hour booked in in the diary and he actually spent nearly two hours with me. And he wanted to know what my thinking was as a millennial, what my thinking was around the way the world is going, what my ideology was, what I was passionate about, passionate about, what my views were on, on career. And I'd come into the meeting ready to talk about, you know, what we, the, the kinds of work we could do together, how I could help his organization, how I could help him. I had my pitch ready. And to be quite frank, I used almost none of that. And when I left the meeting, I thought to myself, what was that about? <laughs> 
it's so hard for a me thing. And then you use none of it. And I thought, what was that actually about? And I realized this person does not come across a profile like mine every day. And he thought he could say a lot or he could ask me about business and we could talk about those things. But the best value um, he could get out of that conversation was asking me about me and really listening and then allowing that to create a broader view for him. Sometimes I think leaders are seen as, you know, not being particularly great listeners. And I know, for example, Theresa May, a lot of leaders have complained about how she didn't listen very much. And I think sometimes it's just because you don't have exposure to many things. I don't, I'm not talking specifically about Theresa May's situation, but as, just as an example, sometimes if you do not, do not meet people and speak to people and encounter people with a lot of different views to yours, you can become siloed. And the best leaders are the ones that aren't siloed, that are willing to listen to everybody and anybody as they shape their view of the world and the best way to lead. That was a really long answer, but it's also something that I'm very passionate about. I always teach my students, the best thing you can do for your career is really understand what's going on before you um, decide how to proceed. And the best way to do that is to listen. I think it was Stephen Covey's, it's one of his seven habits, right? Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And that, I think, makes a phenomenal leader. Um, also, because it's so appealing to talk and not listen to anybody else, um, it's the easy route. But actually, when you listen, sometimes you hear things you don't particularly like, but know that that's the direction you should travel in. Just my thoughts. Okay. As we are speaking about women who failed to let their fears um, define them, I love this second question. And it's simply put, how do you handle failure? I thought long and hard about this because I don't actually think in my life I have handled failure. You see, it, made, it also made me think, what is failure? I think a lot of the time we see fa failure as actually something in the future. If I do this, I may fail. But actually, when you think about the failures and quotes that you've experienced in the past, you never, I, well, I don't anyways, define them as failures. You simply say, oh, I, it was a, I learned a lot from that experience. It's very rare that I, uh, that I say the words, I failed. And apart from in an exam, which is pass or fail. But it's very rare I use those words. So what I'm essentially getting at is I don't actually feel like um, failure is something that has happened to me. I've had learning experiences and I've had challenging experiences, but I, I don't really think of them as failures. I think of them as what they for what they are, things that taught me things and experiences that grew me as a person. Um, and I never would have thought that I'm a failure denialist. <laughs> but, and, and I'm not, but, but it is actually fact. When you look at things in your life, for example, let me ask you, when you look at situations in your life, how many times have you failed? And how many times can you actually say, yeah, it didn't go how I planned it to go, but I learned so much. And that's how you sort of... Um, that's how you couch that incident. That's how you frame what happened at that moment in time. Uh, which brings me also on to my next point, which is this idea that um, it's less about failure. It's more about the fear of failing. You know, it's a little bit like procrastination. You procrastinate and procrastinate. And then once you do it, you actually realize it wasn't as big a task as you initially thought it was. Fear of failure is much, much more of a thing than failure itself. When you actually have an experience, and if it turns out negatively, you're usually okay. Yeah, you sniff and cry, um, you know, for 
little while, but usually you can, well, I usually come up and say, you know what, I learned something from that. Which brings me on to the answer to this question, which I've gone round and round about answering. And that is, it's not failure unless you fail to learn. That's a concept that Dan Sullivan told me and it stayed with me to this very day. I wholeheartedly believe that it's not, it doesn't exist. Failure doesn't exist. Everything is an opportunity for you to learn. Every time you, you know, don't accomplish something, you can always come back up. So those are sort of growing pains is how I like to perceive them. And I think it's important for anybody that is either afraid of failing or is currently experiencing a moment of failure, just know that this is setting you up for something um, better. And that's the way that we should do it. So it's all in the framing is the very glib and short answer to that question. Failure doesn't exist. It's it's all in how you frame it. <laughs> okay. The next question is setting goals is one thing. How do I make sure I hit them? Mm, great question. I don't know is <laughs> the answer because it's largely to do with the goals that you have. What kind of goals are you setting? Are these work goals? Are these career, are these fitness goals? Are these um, life goals? Are these passion goals? Like what kind of goals are you setting? Um, but if I was to create a formula for, for hitting goals, which I've, I would feel like a hypocrite doing because it's not like I hit every goal I set. Uh, but... Um, my first thing would be, why are you doing it? Really understanding why you're doing it is the most powerful thing you can do because as we've talked about when I was talking about Kamala Harris, uh, her mission was so much greater than some of the adversity she faced. Now, when you set goals, it is almost like you are telling the gods, come on, send adversity my way. And this is why your mission has to be far greater than any adversity you felt. I do not even like chocolate a lot of the time. But as soon as I say I'm going to go on a, a, on a stricter diet of some sort, suddenly I start to crave chocolate. It is honestly like, like as soon as you set a big goal for yourself or a task for yourself, adversity just comes. So your why has to be the bigger part of that. The second thing I would say is make it super simple. When you have a big goal and it is dependent on hyper complex spreadsheets and you getting up at 3.30 to, you know, have a supplement and then waking up again, you know, an hour later and it's got all different, so many different complicated elements to it. Or once I do this, then I need to do this. Keep it simple. When you keep your goal simple, it is very uh, difficult for you to sorry, it's a lot easier for you to actually hit them. Um, and with that, I would always say, and I, I say this often, but focus on your inputs. It's less about um, what you get out as a result, but actually just focus on the inputs. I, with everything in my life, it has always come down to how much of the inputs I put in. Exams, it was always how much time did I spend prepping and how much time did I spend studying. With any fitness goals, how much time did I actually spend in the gym, how much time did I spend focusing on my nutrition? It's always the inputs that determine the results. So why do we focus on the result? Rather than focusing on the result, we should actually be focusing on the inputs. So make sure that you are um, getting in as much of those inputs as possible, one step at a time. And that goes on to my next point, which is give yourself cues. So one of the things I did when I was training quite heavily is I would always put my trainers out and my gym gear or, you know, on the side before I went to bed. Why? Because I knew as soon as I woke up, that was just what I had to do. I didn't have to think. Um, 
Paul Dolan, Happiness by Design, says that this is the best way to to get to it. Uh, Atomic Habits, Mr. James Clear, also says that's the best way to do it. But give yourself cues, because once you involve some kind of process and some kind of thinking before you get to, to do what you want to do, it just makes it that little bit more challenging. So, you know, inputs rather than outputs as in, and results and more cues for yourself. And the final point to actually hitting your goals is learn to override your emotions. This is something that I've had to learn, um, especially with things like lockdown and, you know, different ways of working emerging and also different social settings now that you know everybody's just moving differently as well the thing is you've just got to learn to override your emotions because your emotions will always tell you I don't want to do anything and one of the things I've realized actually in the same way that gods of adversity open up as soon as you set a goal I think it was Maria Sharapova who was who was um, describing that when she was a tennis champ the best time to train is just when off season is starting to get sweet you know when when that moment when it's raining and you want to sit on the sofa and you know snuggle up with a blanket and watch a film that's the time you've actually got to be training that's the time when you've got to be putting in the hours Michael Phelps also said you know when when everybody else is having Christmas dinner and focusing on that I'm getting in those hours because if you add up all those hours those are what actually make the difference between being mediocre and being outstanding so that is my advice learn to override your emotions um, and learn to do the hard things Okay, so that's what that's what my advice would be when it comes to setting goals and actually hitting them. Actions, actions, actions. Uh, I think it was Jim Rohn. I'm going on a bit, but I really love these amazing thinkers and I want to share. I think it was Jim Rohn who said today, if you want to lose weight, start today. If you want to become a master chess player, start today. And then he says, if you want to be have have a great body, Start eating well today, not tomorrow, not next week, today. And make a plan. If you want more money, make a financial plan. If you want a better body, make a body plan. If you want greater success at work, make a career plan. Make a plan and start today. That's some Jim Rohn for you. Okay, moving on to the next question. This is good. This is good. But I, 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 I would say let me know if I'm going on a bit, but that's not possible. <laughs> This is all mine. Um, what is the advice for someone? What is your advice for someone who feels knocked back by the pandemic? Everything feels like an uphill climb and thinking about the future is tough. I would go back to one of the things that I just said, which is inputs, not outputs. I think for me personally, the first lockdown was really psychologically very challenging. I went through a period of insomnia. I... Um, really struggled with with you know the feeling of not having freedom uh, I was in Spain for some of the time and it was really hard because you couldn't even go out for a run and psychologically that was really challenging because suddenly you're you cooped up in the house with nowhere else to go and really uh, feeling like you're just waiting for the time to go by until you're allowed out again and so I understand you and I hear you. But one of the things that I that finally got me out of, I don't know, uh, the, the slump, the, 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 place, the dark place that I was in, if you like, was inputs. I just started, you know, I started to train 
every day. I just started to read every day. I began to meditate every day. Um, if you can't think about the future, think about the present and make sure you're doing something that challenges you every day. Make sure you're doing something that grows you every day and make sure you're you're, you're maintaining your sense of gratitude. So make sure you remember three things that you can be grateful for, either in the morning or in the evening or both. Um, that would be what I would say, because fear and gratitude cannot exist um, in the same space. So just make sure you're filling yourself with gratitude and then the rest will follow on from there. Um, I know what it's like to not be able to see beyond, you know, the next day. And so my uh, only advice would be just try and do things that stretch you, that allow you to be grateful and just one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. But make sure you don't stop moving would be my advice for that. And um Everything has a season. It will pass. The only thing you want to do is you want to make sure you're maximizing this moment um, and making the most of the time when nobody's looking, uh, the time when nobody's watching to really grow yourself. So just push yourself to do one little thing um, each day. Um, and yeah, that is what I think. Okay, how do I handle conflict with my mother? This is the next with my mother. This is the next question. How do I handle conflict with my manager? I have tried everything and nothing seems to work. Okay, so now we're talking shop and I love this question. I love this question because um, it's a challenge we all have. Anybody that has, a, has had a manager at some point will have felt um, some kind of challenge. Maybe not with your current manager, but maybe with a previous manager or maybe even with a future manager. Touch wood, hope not. Um, but here's what I say. I say whenever you are having conflict, which is how this person fra uh, fra phrases it, I would say de-escalate. Um, by that I mean try and remove your emotions from the situation and remember that people always deal with the information um, the best way they know how. Some people don't have empathy in their toolbox. Some people don't have kindness in their toolbox. Some people can't parallel process between thinking about you and, their, and the team and themselves. Some people have your best interests at heart, but you just can't see that they have your best interests at heart. And so with that said, the most important thing is to create some distance, create some distance between how you emotionally feel about the situation and the practical reality of what you need to do. And then with that said, focus on what you need to do right now. What are your goals and how best can this person help you to achieve them? That is how I would phrase, frame the situation. I would not see it as antagonistic, he's against me or she's against me. I would see it as what can I learn from this person and how can I make the most of this situation? Yes, they're annoying, they're a pain in the butt, but how can I make the very best in this situation? Because what happens is when we focus on the conflict, we're not focusing on actually growing ourselves. And this is how people end up in dead-end careers, not moving forward with their lives because they're focused on these little conflicts that lead to nowhere. Um, yeah, and I would also say, oftentimes take away their leverage. When somebody's leverage is bad mouthing you because you are X, take away the X. If they're saying you're lazy, show everybody that you can work as hard as anybody else. If they say that you are too opinionated, make sure that sometimes you demonstrate uh, your ability to not always have an opinion. And I'm not saying back down, but what I'm saying is think cleverly about how you take away their leverage. Um, 
And yeah, this is a concept I could talk about for years. And those of you that are on my course know that I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that would be, I'm just looking at the time. Um, that would be my response to that. This is not about them and giving them power. This is not about being right or about being wrong. This is about you focusing on what matters in terms of driving your career forward and you focusing on your lane. Uh, because everything else could detract you from that and actually get you two years, three years behind when you could actually just use this person as leverage to actually help you move forward. Priorities. You've got to prioritize yourself and your career, not petty fights. Okay, I think we are on the last question. Yay. And this is one of my favorite questions, actually. This one says, Michelle, you've clearly accomplished a lot. What what hard things have you had to do? This is a great question, and thank you for the flattery. I don't feel like I've, I've accomplished a lot, but, you know, I have. Um, what hard things have I had to do? Okay, number one, let me be completely honest. N number one for me has had, would have to be overriding my emotions. I'm a deeply emotional creature, and I sometimes take things very personally. And when, you know, things don't go my way, I take it personally. I I'm a little bit like um, a sports person, you know, when you lose a Wimbledon trophy. That's how important sometimes things are for me because I do work very hard. And when things don't line up, I can sometimes get... Um, a little moved. <laughs> but as you grow and as you develop, you realize those things that got you, that passion and that drive that got you to, you know, where you are, needs, you, you, there, there needs to be greater nuance and there needs to be development. And for me, that development has come with learning to navigate my emotions, learning to not be so hard on myself, learning to pat myself on the back when I've done a good job, uh, learning that not everything is personal. People are just dealing with information the best way they know how. Learning that whatever I experience today, emotions are temporary and tomorrow is a new day and I will experience growth and, and from every negative emotions I have. And so I must be grateful, but I must channel that, which is the hardest bit because, you know, sometimes you just want to sit there and wallow in self-pity. And I, I do. Um, but at some point you have to get up. And I think for me, that time between wallowing in self-pity and getting up has reduced drastically, dramatically over the last few years. So that would be one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, emotional self-regulation. And it is something that I've developed. And now I actually find it very, very easy um, to tell myself to override that emotional thing and to tell myself how to actually move on from situation. If, you're, if you are um, not sure how to do this, practice. Practice telling yourself when you're feeling angry, saying, they did not make me angry, I am choosing to be angry. And that sometimes helps you to, to get out of that, you know, victimness, that emotionness by actually saying, I'm choosing right now to feel this emotion. And then hopefully you say, no, there is a better emotion. Let me choose that. Giving myself that power has been incredible. Okay, what other hard things have I had to do? The hardest thing actually is when you reach a certain, when you have a goal and you hit that goal, like one of my goals was working with CEOs and I hit that goal and it was great. And I absolutely love it, loved hitting the goal. And it was like, you know, the grand slam. And speaking of grand slams, actually what happened to me is the same thing that happened to Maria Sharapova. 
I worked uh, with senior leaders and then I started to begin to feel feel empty. And I was like, where is my next grand slam? Now, it's really easy to go from somewhere. Well, it's not easy, but it's a lot simpler to go from a place of pain to a place of glory than it is to go from a place of glory to a higher place of glory. I think that requires a, another skill set. And I think for me, when I hit my goal, challenging myself to the next level um, has been something that I've, I, I've found hard to do. Because sometimes it's easier to just stay comfortable, right? Stay um, in this spotlight that you've now managed to create for yourself and actually not push for more. And I have had to make decisions about how my career will go. And sometimes that means pushing myself when for most people they're thinking, why are you doing this? Because you're potentially in the short term, you know, making less money, having less time, you know, and all these other uh, not nice to haves that come along with pushing yourself to the next level when you already have it when you already have it pretty sweet. So my that that's kind of my thinking. The hard things I've had to do was to push myself out of comfort to do to 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 gain even more out of my life and emotional self-regulation. Those would be the things that I think I found really hard. Now, that is the end of our question and answer session. I hope you have found that uh, interesting. If you have any more questions, please email me. I love hearing from you guys. And I do try and respond to every single email I receive um, that has a question in it. (laughs) And also, I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to sign up for the Readers to Leaders book club. We are having conversations about... um, women that have gone through way more than we probably ever will in our lifetimes and learning from them readers to leaders dot club if you are listening to this it's probably the last day (laughs) so make sure you sign up i'm really looking forward to it and yeah and that is the that is the end for today have a lovely week and i will see you next week